Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest minutes of the show. So glad you're here. So glad you've been with us all week, this holiday week. It's kind of kind of unique because you still have a couple of day, another day to Christmas Eve. Usually you go right up to Christmas Eve. That's a big debate. Do you work Christmas Eve? Do you take it off? And if you're hosting, you still, if you work through a whole week, you still have an extra day to prepare for Christmas Eve. Uh, that's tomorrow. So it's kind of cool. I think this is the perfect breakdown for people who have to prepare to host or to travel. Uh, Eddie Gallagher is going to be with us. Eddie's a decorated combat veteran, served over 20 years in the U.S. Navy, co-founder of uh, Pipe Hitter Foundation. We want to talk about some of the operations over in Gaza, absolutely, and talk about how we are basically in a crouch while the Houthi rebels have stopped travel uh, in through the Mediterranean. It is nuts. Carly Shimkus is going to be here, too. And before we get to Carly, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. They see vulnerability here and an ability also to take advantage of that vulnerability. And they also see in the United States a declining political will in the United States. Yeah, that is true, General Jack Keane. War. Biden going wobbly on Israel and refuses to fire back at 100 plus attacks on our, on our naval at our vessels in the region, which makes us look weak on the world stage, especially to China. Number two. Where are you guys from? Mali. Mali. Senegal. Senegal. And where in the U.S. do you want to go to? Uh, Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Why Philadelphia? OK, so just an address in Philadelphia to go to. Border. The definition of emergency and catastrophe. Uh, Catastrophe and the Biden White House known knows it, or is this the collapse exactly what they want? Maybe, but it's clearly not what the American people want, and they will pay the price. Number one, she could win New Hampshire if Chris Christie got the hell out of the race because most of his voters would go to her. Um, I mean, this this has got to be a two-person race to challenge Trump, and then it's got to become a one-person-against-Trump race, or else Trump is going to win it. Game on. A new poll has Nikki Haley within four points to Donald Trump in this nation's first primary in New Hampshire. This is a precursor to what could be a real horse race between Trump and his former ambassador to the United Nations. Pressure builds on Chris Christie to drop out. And now, here, staying within herself, Carly Shimkus, who has not had enough of me, despite hosting co-hosting Fox and Friends first, and then co-hosting four hours on Fox and Friends. She said, Brian, I'm ready to go. And I said, well, what about radio? And she said, tell me a little bit more about the show. And I told her, and she said, the answer is yes. Yes, the answer is yes, without question. Right. I, just, I, I jumped at the chance. You, your foundation's in radio. Yeah, right? I mean, well, this is... I guess. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, Yeah, so I started as I, Don Imus' assistant. That was my one of my first jobs at 
when I was hired here. Um, and then I joined Fox News Headlines after I was left. So, yeah, that, that's Channel where my career started. Channel 115 on Sirius? Channel 115 on Sirius XM. Yes, it's a great station where you get the news really quickly. So if you're in a rush or you're in a short car ride or a long one, just turn that on. You get all, all that you need to know. So, Carly, we've been talking about 2024 for the longest time, the size of Donald Trump's lead. And it's been big and substantial. So we did notice, though, last night something changed. Uh, there's a new poll that came in uh, for the New Hampshire primary. The UMass Low poll shows uh, that uh, the that poll shows out of 450 people likely to vote, 52 percent that they would vote for Trump, 22 percent they would vote for Haley. But the other one that caught a lot of people's attention that Fox News thoroughly backed was the poll from the I think it's the American Research Center. Yeah, the AR, yeah, ARG, American Research Center. Trump with 33 percent. Haley, 29. Christie, 13, which is respectable. DeSantis with six because he's not really focused on New Hampshire. And then the rest doesn't matter. So we're going to find out if this is an outlier or not because Governor Sununu is popular. Yeah. And he is not more popular than Trump in New Hampshire. I got it. But him backing Haley, I think, is big. Well, it is big. Um, And also the fact that New Hampshire is an early voting state. These are all big ifs, right? I mean, Trump is so far ahead in national polls. But when you, you know, if there is, what this shows is that there is a window of opportunity for Nikki Haley. If this poll is not an outlier. And right now, it kind of looks like it might be. There was a CBS News poll that showed that Trump is 15 points ahead. But it also showed that she is gaining momentum. So if that continues until the Iowa caucus, which is like 24 days away, and then the New Hampshire primary is not too far away after that, it shows that there could be a possible opportunity if she does well in Iowa and then stays close to Trump in New Hampshire. What's next? South Carolina. I think things will change either way, uh, judging by Iowa in those five days in between those caucus states when the results come in. And I know it takes forever for them to count. Republicans better than Democrats. And when the results come in, if DeSantis actually wins. Iowa? Well, Iowa. I've not seen him winning. But all I know is 99 counties. He's got a strong caucus team, been on the ground, moved his whole headquarters there. But if he wins or if Haley beats him, well, he drop out and then people just go, where do I go? And it was brought up to me, and I know we've discussed this. Perhaps we discussed I don't know. But without a Democratic primary, a lot of the independents want to matter. Instead of deciding what should I do, I have no Democrat even to choose from. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get into the Republican race. And yeah. are those people more yeah, out and for I think a that um, independents can vote in the New Hampshire yes. primary, which matters because uh, if you look at the party breakdown or the breakdown of the type of people who vote for Trump versus Nikki Haley, Nikki Haley is much more popular among independents. She's also one of the leading Republican candidates among Democrats, which is something that Donald Trump could use, I guess, a, as ammunition against her. But if independents can vote in the New Hampshire primary, that could give her right. a bit of a leg up. Here's what Governor Sununu said, Cut 14. She is surging. Uh, it's real. There's a lot of momentum here. Um, and again, it's not just here in New Hampshire, but, you know, now she's potentially second place in a couple polls in Iowa. Um, so that's it. I mean, I've always said this is a race between Donald Trump and Nikki Haley. She's making her case, connecting with voters. And it's real. It's genuine. It isn't just, oh, here's a, can- a candidate with a campaign. People see this as a movement, a real movement to kind of move, make sure the Republican Party's moving forward, making sure that we're galvanizing the country with someone that not just can win, because most of 
of the Republican candidates can beat Joe Biden. That's that's actually not very difficult, but can actually carry the entire ballot with her, right? And kind of bring that genuineness, um, that live for your die thing. We're pretty passionate about it here in New Hampshire, but if you could bring a little bit of that to the White House, that's a pretty awesome opportunity for this country. Yeah, so he mentioned live for your diet. New Hampshire is also a very interesting state. I guess it's it's nowhere near as conservative as as Iowa is because it's a a new it's in New England, but it does have a Republican governor. So I think the voters are are more moderate uh, than they would be in the first caucus state. Um, the other thing is, do I, I always think that endorsements are really interesting and how we still focus on endorsements? Do they matter? In Iowa, it doesn't seem like it really did. Kim Reynolds is a popular governor, but Ron DeSantis is still far and away by a large margin second to Donald Trump. Um, and then in New Hampshire, did this did this endorsement matter for Nikki Haley? It certainly didn't hurt. Or is why she's seeing this momentum because of her uh, debate performances? Because in every single debate, she was so strong. And she received a lot of the incoming fire from Vivek, Vivek Ramaswamy, which I think hurt him and helped her much more. So now he, she decided, I, I was on with Governor Christie, and at that point he did not know that she said yes to the CNN debate. He said, well, I don't even know about the CNN debate because I don't think she's doing it. I said, no, she just came across and said yes. I wonder if she regrets that. Saying yes to the CNN. Tell us more about the CNN debate. What's going to happen there? Well, she said yes. Has anybody else? And uh, when is it going to be? Yeah, so we know that uh, it looks like uh, DeSantis is in. So you have Christie says he's going to be in if he fits the criteria. Uh, Allison, would you be able to look up what the criteria is, see if they have it uh, for the CNN debate? Would it be before the pro- the yes. caucus? Oh, and are you are you saying that she might regret it just because she has the momentum? Don't mess it up. Yeah, why mess it up? She yeah. knows she's going to be targeted. You think DeSantis is going to hold anything back? No. And uh, Ramaswamy. And I think that DeSantis has has been a good debater too. I mean, he says yeah. what he needs to say. Clearly, his strategy is always name a topic. I've already handled it. And I think he has done well. But, I mean, I just think back to before the election cycle really started, after the midterm elections, when he just ran away with the governorship by, I mean, how many points did he did he beat his opponent? And then everybody was saying, I mean, he really, really could challenge Trump. And then look at look at what's happened now. I do wonder if he regrets getting in. Allison, you have the criteria. I do. So the first debate is going to be on January 10th um, at 9 o'clock, but at Drake University in uh, Des Moines, Iowa. But to qualify, if these pop-ups would stop coming up, um, <laughs> participants in the Iowa debate candidates must receive at least 10% in three separate national and or Iowa polls That's high. of Republican caucus goers or primary voters. That okay. meets the standards. Yeah, you might be uh, at a one-on-one. Yeah. Because it might be a one-on-one. So I guess we'll see. I don't know if uh, Chris Christie would qualify for that. I don't think he's got 10 percent in three states. There's no You're not way. in three polls. I don't think yeah. in three polls. No way. Yeah. And so, then, oh, and then in New Hampshire. Oh, I'm sorry, Brian. He's got 13 percent in New Hampshire, so that helps. Yeah. I think he's in single digits in Iowa. Yeah. I don't think he's done much. But then if you look at the poll, it, where, that shows that Chris Christie is at 13 percent and Haley's at 29 percent in New Hampshire. And Chris Christie has spent all of his time in New Hampshire. If he drops out. And all that support goes to Haley. I mean, think about that. If it does, yeah. Yeah. If it I think does. It, well, I think it would. The other uh, possibility is that none of this matters. And I think that this is the the greater likelihood and that Trump's just going to run away with the whole thing. It's fun to talk about this stuff, but, I mean, Trump is so far ahead in you know so what? many states. Part of me says that, and then, then I realize how little faith I have. In, I have to remind myself how little faith I have in the polls. I know. That's what that's the whole thing I say to myself and also how quickly it changes. I, I watch every year. It's like, oh, he's way ahead. She's way ahead. And all of a sudden, 
after a couple of results in, things yeah, change. I know. It's so true. Uh, I mean, John Edwards, he did so well in Iowa, and he was strong. Then he ends up being the solid second, ends up being t- teaming with John Kerry. Also, I always think about how easily persuaded people are by what other people are doing. Yeah. Like the early voting statesmen, they go, oh, well, yeah, maybe the people in Iowa are right. Maybe I should give a second second glance to, to that guy. And like, how mo- do you not? And then the money comes in. Yeah, I guess it's the money, well. too. So uh, the other big story is what Ron DeSantis brought up yesterday. They say, you know, in retrospect, what did you do wrong? So they didn't really do anything wrong. Is it? I didn't anticipate Alvin Bragg's indictment and the reaction. I didn't anticipate Jack Smith and the aggression and the backlash to these cases where I end up talking about him. Isn't that the truth? And guess what happened last week, two days ago? Guess what I'm rolling in? I'm rolling clips of Haley talking about Trump, DeSantis talking about Trump, Christie talking about Trump. And guess what they're saying? Yeah, this is bridge too far. Yeah. This is scary. Yeah. So so next thing you know, he's dominating the news cycle without a press conference, without a rally. It's so true. And Donald Trump looks like the victim once again. And when somebody's a victim, what does everybody want to do? They want to support him. Even the candidates. Remember remember what Vivek Ramaswamy said, which yeah. you know, people call him Trump light, and I completely understand that. And uh, he's saying, I'm not going to be a part of the uh, take my name off the Colorado ballot if Trump's name isn't there either. So everybody ends up talking about Trump. I think that Ron DeSantis is right about that. In part, that's one of the things that happened. The other thing that happened, though, is just and it's completely understandable. Donald Trump's presidency wasn't 30 years ago. It was three. And people remember what the country was like yeah. back then. So uh, so you're you're up against a a poor record from the incumbent president. And it's so easy right. for people to say, Okay, well, let's go back to the guy that has a proven track record and the resume to back it up. And his greatest accomplishment, perhaps, was the tax cuts, and they're evaporating. Mm -hmm. They're coming to an end. Larry Kudlow weighed in on that sad fact, too. All right, Carl Shimkus is here. We've got a few more minutes right after this. And at the bottom of the hour, Eddie Gallagher, decorated combat vet. We've got to talk about the fighting in Gaza. Have to talk about the the stick-to-itiveness I think we need to have in Ukraine. And China's warning to us. China's warning to us. I'm taking... Taiwan, you decide if you want to make this World War III. Don't move. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Mmm, chocolate. Mmm, peanut butter. Ooh. Hey, you got chocolate on my peanut butter. You got peanut butter on my chocolate. That is good. It's really good. Yeah, I like this. Two great tastes that taste great together. Reese's Peanut Butter Cup. Real milk chocolate. Good old-fashioned peanut butter. Reese's Peanut Butter Cup. So... Why would we play that, Carly Shimkus? I know the backstory. Should I say it? Yes. I think you would tell the story much better. Well, I would just say that we brought up Reese's as a prize. And I said the one thing about Reese's I really enjoy, not only is it good, but the whole origin story. And you guys thought I was kidding. And I don't know if you remember this. I remember this commercial. It was 1972. And I remember just watching it. It was on all the time as Robbie Benson, who would later become famous, uh, he would be like number one guy at the box office. Donnie Most, who would be in American Graffiti and Happy Days, bumping into each other on the street because they were looking at an attractive girl. <laughs> and one was having was eating peanut butter right out of the jar. 
And then Donnie Most was having a chocolate candy bar, and the chocolate ended up in the peanut butter, and they both tried it, and they loved it. And then you have, just like that, Reese's was born, and yes. that's the story that you said yesterday is to the or, the origin story of Reese's peanut butter cups. I believed you. I didn't think it was a commercial. I thought that that was the real story. That was like a little slice of history, like an interesting run-in that turned into well, a. I ca- bought it. No one told me differently. A, yeah, a, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, I, I so um, we played it on Fox and Friends this morning. The commercial, uh, great. Great marketing, by the way, by whoever created that ad. Right? Yeah. And the other thing that I was just thinking about as I was listening to the commercial, not watching it, people's vo- – like the announcer of that commercial, people's voices used to be different. There's that like really sophisticated quality in people's voices back then that – and that wasn't that long ago. Right. That was in your lifetime. It, uh, smoking. I think people were smoking oh. back then, and I think it affected the larynx. So are you saying there's a perk to tobacco? Yes. Uh, you're, uh, oh, I don't know if you want to go out and support it. I think that you would find people in the 1970s who would, yeah, I'm looking to make my voice deeper sound more mature. People would use that as an excuse to smoke. Really? I mean, I mean, no one ever thought that we'd get a hold of smoking. Doctors I mean, did used to say smoking is good for you. They yeah. did? Oh, yes. Yeah, um, yeah. They used to say uh, if, you pa- smoke, if you have uh, some – Lung issues or coughing, the smoke would heal it. So they the, recommended smoking. In my book, Teddy and Booker T, when when Teddy Roosevelt, as a child, was having problems, they would blow smoke in his face. Yeah, yeah. That's, and I thought that is the craziest thing ever, like a bloodletting. I know, but they would also like put like animal feces on open wounds and that leaching. We've right. we've gone past leeches. We have, yes. uh, pretty much. Where did you find out all this uh, primitive uh, medicine? Did you have like a book report on <laughs> I this? I don't know. It's just rolling around in the old dome. Right? It's just, yeah. it's just there. It's just Ready in there. to be used. Yeah. Um, but back to candy. Yeah. Back, well, I, I think we can move on. Okay. Okay. So uh, on a serious note, how, how aggravating must it be for a guy like Larry Kudlow to know that the tax cuts that he worked on are just going to be going away? And you're talking about... The top tax rate going from thirty uh, from thirty seven back up to thirty nine. All of them. Most of the rates were for the younger, uh, were, were for lower income people. And this is a Biden administration a policy where they're going to try and get rid of these tax cuts. It hasn't been a- enacted yet, though, has it? Well, you don't have to enact. It's just going to disappear because they didn't pass it. Uh, they didn't pass it with sixty votes. They did it on. Do you think that this is going to impact the? Um the businesses, remember the business tax cuts and how that money Absolutely. did trickle down. Absolutely. It did trickle down. And we didn't really find out. We pulled back the rubber band mm-hmm. and the pandemic hit. Yeah. And they never let go. So people say, well, you, we lost the revenue. Yeah, you did. But the businesses were beginning to come back. Yes, they were. And then down goes the economy. Down goes the economy. Well, this would give the Republican candidate another issue to campaign on. So you just have to get through this one year, or would this be a congressional thing that where Congress would need to repass these tax cuts? Good question. <laughs> Let's get Larry we, uh, we've got to get him I, on. We, that's why I asked the question, so I don't uh, have the answer. No, you do. You know, I don't have to. No one thinks I have all the answers. <laughs> Nobody's ever met me. But you do know the origins of Reese's peanut butter cups, and that's why we love you. Exactly. That's the only reason. Merry Christmas, Brian. Same to have you, Carly Champions. radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. What is coming out, and my sources support it as well, is a rather profound and unprecedented message 
by President Xi to President Biden. And it had to do with the fact that the onus is on the United States if they want to avoid war over Taiwan. And President, President Xi told uh, President Biden in some very direct language that the, the reality for him is that reunification with Taiwan is more important than maintaining the regional peace. And he expects the United States, if they want to avoid war, to support him in its peaceful reunification efforts. He was, uh, General Keene, really alarmed by this. We were talking right before the segment, too. That was him from Fox and Friends. And, and he was saying that this is the story that's emerging after last week's summit was President Xi basically said, we're going for Taiwan at a time of our choosing. And you'll decide if this is going to be a war or not. And we're not going to let that happen. Number one, we have to deliver the missile defense to them almost immediately. They've got to begin training almost immediately. Evidently, they have not uh, had a lean fighting force. There's elections in Taiwan in January. And China should know this is going to be a lot more difficult. They have not fought a war since 1979. It was a skirmish against North Vietnam. And we'll see if they actually want a part of this. Now, you have to understand, not only are they are an ally, but they provide 80% or 90% of the chips that we buy. So they have chip manufacturer. Do we want to lose a democracy in the area again? How do Australia feel about that? How does North South Korea feel about that? How emboldened is North Korea because of that? Now they'll shut off, literally shut off the South China Sea and the Taiwan Strait. Is that what we want? Please. Cut 30. They know full well that our military isn't what it used to be, Brian. Are we the most powerful military in the world? Yes. But we get within a thousand miles of mainland China, the advantage swings to the Chinese. And that's the harsh reality of it. You're not, likely not going to get a public statement from anybody in the military about something like that. But that's the truth of it. And that is something that could be corrected. Now, we also need a strategy. Evidently, our aircraft carriers could be targeted and taken out. Right now, we don't have the ability, it seems, to be able to protect them. So we back them out out of the range of their missiles, their, their, their version of Tomahawks. And to do that, we're not going to be close enough in order to protect Taiwan. But how bad does it look for our other allies around the world that we knew this was going to happen and it happens? And we didn't do anything. We weren't effective to protect it. That's why Afghanistan was such a disaster. That's why Ukraine aid has to happen. That's why we got to be we have great resolve when it comes to Israel. That's why we have to stay out of their military meetings. And we got to not have Jake Sullivan commenting or Anthony Blinken, who have zero military background, know nothing about the region militarily or from Gaza, probably never even through there, where most of the Israelis have been studying, game planning this out uh, for years. So that, to me, is a big mistake from this administration. I like their initial reaction. I like their initial comments. I love the fact that she, he went over. I would prefer that he went over to, to meet with Netanyahu when he had another meeting scheduled with the Egyptian leader as well as the Jordan leader as well as the Palestinian Authority. They all nixed it, but he went and had and met with Netanyahu anyway. So when he had that meeting— I like that he was there and showed it uh, and showed his symbiosis. I like that we moved assets to the area. Now what I don't like, we're not using those assets to protect our people. We're not using those assets to protect our ships. Now, we do have great missile defense on these ships in a way in which I was not aware of. However, we know where the Houthis are. We can't sit there and just knock their drones out of the sky. We're going to miss. Odds are we're not going to be there for every single ship, commercial vessel. So why not just take out the Houthis out where they live? Blow them up. 
destroy them all. We got satellites in the sky. We know exactly where they're coming from. And then you send the message. Well, people say, well, you're going to escalate it. They were already escalating it. What do you mean we're escalating it? They're the ones shooting at us. If we hit them back, it is our fault. It's incredible. So I want you to hear a little bit more uh, more on this. Here's, here's more from Jack Keane. Cut 28. They know our political system. They're very, very tuned into it. Uh, they watch it. I think they tried to undermine the United States by taking advantage of uh, lack of political and social cohesion in the United States. Anytime something bad happens, their information operation plugs in to undermine the people's confidence in its government. This is what they're all about. Yeah. And they did a study now, and I'm going to get into this, uh, TikTok and Instagram. They compared it. And evidently, the lack of positive stories about Israel on TikTok and the very few negative stories about China on TikTok. And people say, well, ByteDance has most of its locations in officers and executives in, in, in America. Don't worry about it. We have a different version in China. And it's so popular because of the algorithm. But what they're doing is subtly shaping your mind and understanding that maybe when your government starts talking about China being a threat, you're going to say, no, I don't think so. I've been caning up with the news on TikTok. But this administration understands the danger, but they won't act on it because most of the young voters are on TikTok and they don't want to have to make that choice. That's why you'll have President Obama doing stuff on TikTok. And I know President Biden will be embarrassing himself to doing something age inappropriate on TikTok, too, and put some of these ads together. So that's our threat. The Houthi rebels not standing up. Us getting 100 attacks, hitting back four or five times is an embarrassment. And if you think there's something that hurts recruiting, yeah, there's the recruiting. The ads are terrible. They have been unable to get into high school since the pandemic. They got to go back doing both. They got to show people doing things muscular with this exciting men and women. You don't go into the army to be politically correct, I don't think. And then you have to show some muscle on the world stage. You go around the Ger- Gerald R. Ford and you take out the Houthi rebels and you blow up these uh, these uh, oil fields uh, in uh, in Iran and you set the pace and set the course in the Middle East because we're being attacked on a regular basis. You want to help recruiting? That would help recruiting, in my view. So uh, we'll talk about that. Eddie Gallagher is probably not going to join us. All right. So, yeah. So then, yeah. So we don't know. Uh, we don't know where he is. So uh, I'll be able to take your calls when we get back. But I don't want to take a break yet. I want to get into uh, a little about what's happening at our border. So we know that about 10,000 came across yesterday. On Monday, about uh, a all-time record, 12,700 came across. And what I'm so amazed at is as much as we've been talking about this, I get the sense that it's so bad even this administration understands they're paying a huge price. If you look at the latest poll, Donald Trump, 54% approval rating at the border. Joe Biden, 27% at the border. But listen to his press secretary try to spin it. Cut three. I mean, look, we asked for more Border Patrol, right? And he was able to get 24,000 more Border Patrol folks, uh, law enforcement folks at the border. That's unprecedented. We asked for more and 
you got uh, Republicans uh, in Congress who, especially in the House, who want to cut that. They actually want to do the opposite of what the president is trying to do. And so, look, the president has done everything that he can, right, uh, on, on his own. Okay, I can't even listen. Uh, she's not. Number one, he's not close to doing anything but opening up everything. He's leaving the gaps in the wall there. Not improved Border Patrol or supported them the way he should. Condemning and suing every time Texas tries to take things into their own hands, whether it's buoys in the Rio Grande or whether it's now what they're doing, and of course they're being sued by the ACLU, effectively the government, uh, they're going to start arresting and deporting people on their own. If you want to do rapid return, what you do is you threaten all the, the, our neighbors, you threaten all our neighbors, with sanctions, especially Mexico. Now, he's sending Blinken down to meet with uh, Mexican President Arbador. What are you taking so long for? You met with him in California about a month ago. What happened then? You met with the Chinese leader two weeks ago or three weeks ago about the fentanyl delivery. What's happened then? Nothing's really changed. Let's talk about some of the combat in the area and the problems we're having with recruiting with Eddie Gallagher, a decorated combat vet uh, for the last 20 years in the U.S. Navy, co-founder of Pipe Hitter uh, Foundation. Uh, Eddie, welcome back. Hey, how you doing, Brian? Thanks for having me on. No problem. First off, I was just talking about recruiting. There's so many different facets why recruiting's down. You also mentioned that this, this generation, not in shape, so many aren't qualified, even if they wanted to sign their bottom line. But the other one is, when you watch us get attacked 100 times and answer, answer back four, does that make a 17 or an 18 year old wonder, think twice on whether they want to be in a military that is is in the in the crouch essentially? Yeah, I imagine it would. You know, the, the thing is, this generation they they have uh, all the information they need at the palm of their hand. They can see exactly what's going on with our military, how the military is treating the individuals that do sign up. And I think that's one of the main reasons that you don't have a, a lot of men and women wanting to sign up, and why recruitment is so low. You know, the military is spending all the resources on um, the recruiting aspect, spending, I mean, and they're spending millions on trying to get people to sign up. They're also um, giving bonuses out, and they're also lowering the standards for these individuals. But none of it is working because they are looking at all of these facets and instead of the one main facet, which is why people aren't joining, is themselves. The leadership of this military is weak. It has been weak for a long time. It needs to be restructured. They need to go back to all of these uh, institutions like West Point, Annapolis, and all the other military institutions and completely redo the curriculum on leadership. These kids can see what type of leaders our country has right now, and they do not want to serve under them. Why did you join? I joined because I love this country, um, and I, I was raised I was an Army brat. You know, my dad was a West Point officer, uh, along with all my uncles, who all graduated from Annapolis, all naval aviators, and they inspired me. Um, they inspired me. They, I wanted to serve my country, and I believe that's what's missing is, you know, these kids are not being inspired. Instead, the military is trying to bribe them into joining the military by offering these bonuses, lowering standards, and it's not working. So I want you to hear – I played this for the audience, but I want you to hear what Jack Keen said this morning – and I think that this is this is a problem. Cut 30. They know full well that our military isn't what it used to be, Brian. Are we the most powerful military in the world? Yes. But we get within a thousand miles of mainland China. The advantage swings to the Chinese. And that's the harsh reality of it. You're not, likely not going to get a public statement from anybody in the military about something like that. But that's the truth of it. And, and that, to me, should be a, a immediate shows it, it's an emergency. 
and and oh, China yeah. telling us last week, two weeks ago, that they're going to be taking Taiwan. It's up to us to decide if it's going to be a world war and how we're going to respond. That's also uh, believe them what they, when they say it. Yeah, we should. And we should all be, uh, you know, vigilant over the next couple of years on what the other countries are going to do, because if we keep going down this road, we keep having a weak administration, um, then, yeah, we're going to be taken advantage of. When you uh, see what's happening in Gaza, could you describe the fighting? Uh, yeah, from from what I've seen, you know, obviously from the footage, the the uh, it looks a lot like uh, the retaking of Mosul back in 2017. Um, it's a nasty fight. You're fighting a nasty enemy um, who do not follow any rules, and they know that uh, the, you know the world is watching. And I just think uh, you know my my heart and prayers go out to Israel. Right. Uh, they have lost over 100 guys in this short period, in these seven weeks. Is that casualty number high for you? Is that what you would think it would be if I told you this operation is about to start? You know, it that is, yeah, I think it is high, but I, I think that uh, that is war, um, and that is part of the norm. But, yeah, it, it is a high uh, casualty rate. When you heard about bin Laden's, we heard about bin Laden's tunnels. And we heard the intricacies. It turns out they weren't like that. But these tunnels are even possibly even better than we thought. I mean, there is huge entrances, there's tractors, there's railroad cars. This is a subterranean battlefield or living living in battlefield. When you've seen the video, what are your thoughts, Eddie? Um, yeah, I mean, like I said, this it, it um, reminds me a lot of the retaking of Mosul. You know, ISIS had a very intricate tunnel system all across that city. They had three years to prepare for an invasion of that city, and I, I think that Hamas has done the same thing. And it's going to be a very complex fight. Um, it's going to be, um, yeah, a very complex, and it's, it's going to take a lot of strategy to get rid of Hamas by miti- and also mitigating civilian casualties. Do you think they're doing doing a good job doing that? So, like, the world is extremely critical of the IDF about the amount of civ- uh, civilian casualties. Uh, you know, I do think they're doing a good job. And I think that, you know, with a war like this, and it's unfortunate, but civilian casualties are going to happen. And I think because that this war has been so uh, politicized and all the, you know, the eyes are watching – that if they're going to get scrutinized for every civilian casualty mm-hmm. that happens, then, yeah, I think, you know, it's – then we're going to be watching that on a weekly basis. But what people need to realize is, you know, I'm, I, I'm positive Israel is not trying to uh, kill that many civilians or trying to mitigate that as much as possible. But the hard reality is, is yes, civilians do die during war. It's the unfortunate uh, thing that happens, uh, especially during a war like this. Uh, Eddie, thanks so much. So we got to you. You under, understand a lot. A lot of the veterans too. That recruiting is down, and there's got to be a way to attack it. The main theme is don't give them with incentives. Get them excited about serving. Correct. Correct. Inspire them. That's what uh, needs to happen. And you cannot inspire these young men and women with the leadership that we have. So I think the leadership that we have in the military needs to be held accountable for all their actions over the past, you know, decade. Um, and you know. I think the harsh reality is the answer, and I know that uh, people don't want to hear this, is you know a lot of the top brass in the, in the military needs to go. Uh, there needs to be a restructuring. 
I want to hear it uh, because I could not be more disappointed uh, from what I've heard uh, from our former General uh, Austin, Secretary of Defense. I know he's got to answer to the president, but I see no leadership, no forcefulness. I don't see him standing up to any of this. How the hell can we be attacked over 100 times and answer back four and be the world superpower? Exactly. Uh, we're not. We're definitely not showing we're the world superpower right now, um, and it shows with all, everything that's going on across the globe. Uh, and do you have a sense of who you want to vote for next that would restore some of that integrity? Uh, there's only one person. That's Trump. Eddie Gallagher, thanks so much. Thank you. Appreciate you, Brian. You got it. Uh, back in a moment, I'll be able to squeeze in some calls on the other end. One a little bit long. If you're listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show, so glad you're here. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. There is nothing new to this, right? You have Democrats who are now literally running for office on the pledge of censorship. I mean, think about that, right? You have people running for office pledging to citizens that they will reduce their constitutional rights. That's what we have reached as, as a country. Now, in the end, I think there's enough of us in this country uh, to hold the line, to say that that's not what defines us. What defines us are these common rights, these values. And that means that we often defend others that we disagree with. We don't censor them. We don't arrest them. And he's uh, that's Jonathan Turley talking about the Colorado kicking Trump off the uh, kicking him off the ballot. And what really worries me, it's already happening in real time. Dan Patrick came out, lieutenant governor of Texas, says maybe I'll kick off Joe Biden for what he did at the border. And then California says, I will do any lieutenant governor says I will do everything in my power to prevent Donald Trump from being on the ballot. And now we hear the same thing from New York. We're making a movement to kick Trump off the ballot. Now, my hope is now I know Supreme Court weighs in first week back. Absolutely unconstitutional. Everybody else backs off. So we stop this. Does anybody really, really want to waste more taxpayer dollars fighting something the Supreme Court's already ruled on? So that's my hope. But I do worry about the president. And by the way, if the if the Supreme Court doesn't weigh in, our elections are blown up. Period. Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade here. Thanks so much for listening. I come to you in Midtown Manhattan, one of the few left. It looks like more people have left New York than any other state in the country. Net 200 plus thousand over the last year. The mayor was asked about that. and He said, well, COVID-19 and rats. Uh, I also say taxes and crime. I would add that into the fray. And actually, I'm one of the few people that I do not think. I think Mayor Adams is light years better. Uh, mayor Adams is light years better than uh, than the last guy we had. And believe me, that guy had no problem with this whole city being overrun by illegal immigrants. But guess what? This guy does, and he's being ignored and actually isolated by this administration. 
Uh, this hour, we're going to be joined by Lee Zeldin, and we're going to be joined by Doug Collins, who made his way to the studio. By the way, if you're watching Fox Nation, you can see it. But before we go anywhere, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. They see vulnerability here and an ability also to take advantage of that vulnerability. And they also see in the United States a declining political will in the United States. It is so true. And they're talking about China. And that, of course, is General Jack Keane. War. Biden going wobbly on Israel, refusing to fire back at the 100 plus attacks on our troops and ships in the region. And we look weak on the world stage, especially to China. I'll explain. Number two. Where are you guys from? Mali. Mali. Senegal. Senegal. And where in the U.S. do you want to go to? Uh, Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Why Philadelphia? Okay, so just an address in Philadelphia to go to? Border, film illusion, the definition of emergency and catastrophe as the Biden White House knows it, or this is this exactly what they planned? Maybe, but it's clearly not what the American people want. Number one. She could win New Hampshire if Chris Christie got the hell out of the race because most of his voters would go to her. Um, I mean, this, this has got to be a two-person race to challenge Trump, and then it's got to become a one-person-against-Trump race, or else Trump is going to win it. Mark Thiessen weighs in. Game on. A new poll is Nikki Haley within four points in New Hampshire to Trump. Others have a double digits away. Is this a precursor to a real horse race, or is this just an anomaly? We'll talk about it all. Uh, with as uh, with Doug Collins, who is still calling balls and strikes from afar. Uh, you know, he's not in Georgia. He's in New York right now. Doug, great to see you. Thank you. It's good to be here, Brian. Uh, all right. First off, um, on the four points yep. that we have this new poll out from the American Research has Nikki Haley within four points. Do you believe it's that close? I think it's an anomaly right now. I do. I mean, could it get closer? Yes. But right now, I think it's an anomaly. When everyone else uh, is sort of having it, even some of the uh, polls that you look to in New Hampshire, the Aslan polls and others, have it at double digit, I think you're probably closer to there. Is there a doubt that she is emerging as a number two? Uh, among this field, yeah. I think she's emerging as number two. But, I mean, how many conversations do you normally have with about number twos that are 20 to 30 points behind most everywhere in the world? Right. Haley is, uh, is now at 30. So it's 33-29 in this poll, the American Research Group. American Research Group. Christie is three at thirteen. The Census is at six. And Ramaswamy at five. And then St. Anselm. To your point, uh, they had they had their survey. They found that Haley garnered thirty percent of the likely Republican primary votes, just fourteen points behind Trump at forty four percent. And then the UMass Lowell poll has a much different story. They have fifty two uh, for Trump, twenty two for Haley. So what changes after Iowa? Uh, How much does change? A lot. Yeah, it does. The curious thing on those three polls is where Christie's number was, because if Christie's number didn't really adjust very much, it was still around 12, 13 percent. Then it's something's missing there because that was where they she would have expected to get numbers after the Senate endorsement. So if those numbers don't move, then I I question the numbers even a little bit more because it's not showing where they're coming from. And a Trump voter is not going to go to Haley. That's that's an interesting point there on those polls uh, to look at. Um, I think after Iowa, I think Ron DeSantis campaign is is. Pretty much done. Um, if if he doesn't do well. But even, you, you think the die has been cast there? Yeah. I mean, if you heard him even talking, he's done a couple of interviews here recently where it was uh, – and he was already sort of – you got the excuse mode in a little bit. Well, if, if Trump hadn't been charged and if we could have debated issues and this kind of thing. Um, I Look, I think he comes in a distant second in Iowa. It could get close. depends on – if Iowa, if Trump's Iowa voters don't show up, that's his only hope uh, there. But he, I think it's going to be a weak showing. And his 
Super PAC's basically gone. He's going to do third, fourth, or worse in New Hampshire. What's the writing on the wall? And he'll not win South Carolina. Will Nikki Haley? No. Is it going to be close? If she does well in New Hampshire. Closer than 20 points, maybe. But right now, Trump is dominating the primary in, in South Carolina. You know, one, one thing I heard, and I couldn't believe it, it was on CNN. Mm-hmm. I said, okay, here's the hit job. They're going to bring up the same Hitler things, and I, which yeah. I can't believe. Right. They played Hitler four times in five weeks. Yeah, you know you're losing at that point. Every time. So, I mean, The View used it in November. So, yeah. so I'm thinking, okay, let me just watch this because at 5 in the morning, we used to be live at 4 in the morning. I'm in this building at yeah. 4. So I'm watching live, and I got, I got to go to CNN or ABC. So I'm, I'm watching, and I watched Jeff Selney just basically say that the Trump team is – just because Trump isn't here all the time doesn't mean his team's not working every angle oh, in Iowa. I did not know – It's they said the Trump machine – Mm-hmm. So he's got a machine locking things up. Yep. I did not know how extensive it is and how badly he wants to win it in two. Mm-hmm. He wants to dominate in those two and force everybody out. Is that is that a good game plan? For him it is, I think, at this point, because he's always viewed himself as the incumbent. He's in, in this race, and he looks at it. So, look, he's he's got a great gown game in Iowa. He's, been, he's had surrogates going out in Iowa. There's been other people in Iowa. Um, and, and he goes there, look at the, just look at the differences of the crowds and, and the enthusiasm. Now in Iowa caucuses matter a little differently. So it's a matter who shows up and sits for two hours in these and caucuses is, and isn't persuaded is imp- persuaded. And, and I think there's some, but even you're seeing some of the, when, when you start, here's a good rule of thumb. When you start questioning the polls, like some of his endorsements from Kim Reynolds and, and some of the other, uh, evangelical leaders, they start saying, well, those polls don't matter. We're going to do good. That's a sure sign. Something's not right. Um, to set up a good machine, more traditional yeah. is, is a little. That's very interesting. Which is good for which is good for Trump, and he did that back a few years but, ago. And I think it's a build over. But you know why I think it's really important for him, in my opinion, is that they want this done with. Clearly, the nominee yes. when he gets to his trials. Oh yeah. So who is he looking at? Four cases, ninety charges, right? Yeah, sometimes. And then, March, uh, then yeah. he's got some civilian things going on, civil trials, things going on too. So if he's clearly the nominee, as opposed to fighting tooth and nail for every state on Super Tuesday. Yeah. He wants to make make it so clear. This is pers- prosecution. This is persecution. That guy knows I'm about to beat him, yeah. and he wants me in court. As opposed to I'm fighting with Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis to get over fourteen hundred. Exactly. Well, at this point in time, if you look at the way it is, I believe that at a certain point in time, the Haley DeSantis Christie campaign, the Ramaswamy campaign, they're all all they hope for is something to happen to him. There's no path for them legitimately right now in polls or other things. I mean, Super Tuesday. There's not. A, I mean, look at the look at the run Trump would have through Super Tuesday. It would be enormous, you know, going through here. So even if it made it to Super Tuesday, they don't have a real path right now to get past Donald Trump. And all they're hoping for is that something happens to him. You talked to him a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. How'd it go? It's good. He was in. Uh, I was at an event with AFPI, which I've done some stuff with, and uh, he was very good human. He gave a great speech, and um, he seemed to be confident. Here is Kimberly Strassel on the Colorado Supreme Court kicking him off the ballot. Cut 22. Everything that's going on now is deliberate and designed to force the courts to intervene and take the place of Americans. If you're going to file unprecedented novel legal theories about conspiracies, you're going to indict the former president for the first time, the courts are going to have to make a decision. And these people, whether it's a Colorado majority, whether it's Jack Smith, they're the ones that are deliberately putting the judiciary in this position of now having to decide whether or not they're going to be the ultimate deciders. Um, And I think they should have to take responsibility for that. I, I hope it catches up with them, not the other way around. 
She I agree. Did, she's, she's dead on. Wall Street Journal. Yeah, Journal. she's dead on. And, and here's an interesting part. Think about it. This is a court that – go back 23 years to the 2000 election. This is a court that interjected for the first time really we headed to see this, a court that – you know, by all accounts, interjected itself into a presidential election in the, in the Florida case, the Bush v. Gore case. They didn't like it. They didn't want to be a part of it. Scalia and many others, after the fact, they never really wanted to talk about that case. Now you're getting it put into the fact, and, and this Roberts court, who Roberts is always very timid to get out in front of any kind of, of issue, now they're being forced by Jack Smith in a way. This is separately. Two separate okay. cases. You've got the Colorado case. Which Colorado is, case is going to be in front of them. When do you think, because you're a lawyer, uh, uh, when do you think it's going to be there? It, it, Questionable, and, and that's the thing. Colorado said we want this decided quickly. Well, they don't work on the Supreme Court time, so it, sometime in the could be January, February. And I don't you, think they're worried about January. Time. But you know what's happened in the interim? California, yeah. New York want to do exactly. the same thing. They're going to they're going to try. It would help if they would go. My hope is they will knock out the Colorado case pretty quickly. It's it's flawed beyond the time. That'll help Trump. That'll help. And it'll help the country too. Because this has got to stop. This this kind of stuff has got to stop. I don't want Republic. I don't want Oklahoma kicking off a Democrat. Exactly. It's got to stop. Then you get the Jack Smith case, which is an interesting. One. Jack Smith's case does not need to jump the appellate procedure. So tell tell everybody with the Jack. Okay. Jack Smith says, "Let's go right to the Supreme Court and find out if I could try a sitting president uh, on the, the January sixth on the immunity case, on the immunity clauses, and also some of the other issues." So will he be immune from this case? That's what he's trying to figure out. And also that well, and I got to take this. There's another case that was brought by the J six. Uh, defendants on the actual charges itself of disrupting a, a congressional proceeding that the Supreme Court has also taken up, which will be much later, probably in this later fall, almost June, before we'll hear a, a call on that. If that's thrown out, one, those charges will be thrown out among these and Donald Trump as well. So there's three issues they're having to deal with. The middle one, though, back to Jack Smith for a second. He uh, had a district court ruling where they're at right now. The lowest level court said there is no such thing as presidential immunity for these acts. Of course, Trump uh, appealed. Team appealed it to the D.C. court. D.C. court has not they, – they expedited it, but they've just heard – I think they're in the process of hearing the arguments and, and making a ruling. They've not made a ruling. Jack Smith unprecedentedly jumps the D.C. Supreme Court after he has his own positive ruling to the Supreme Court to get this case heard by the Supreme Court because he wants to do away with it. The Trump legal team made a great brief on this. It was really well written. And they said, look, you're asking the Supreme Court now to basically become a trier of fact in many ways by jumping the appellate process. This is a this is bad for jurisprudence. This is bad for those who are lawfaring this thing instead of uh, looking at it in a different way. And it's not just bad for, for the, these races for president. It's bad in the precedent that it sets for right. other cases. So I'm going to put it in layman's terms for a non-law student. Yep. So this is what I think. So you're about to have a big heavyweight boxing match, yep. and you hear that one side's going to complain about the judges. Mm-hmm. No matter how the ruling comes out, they're going to complain against the judge and say the judges are in the bag for the other guy. Mm-hmm. So Jack Smith sees this is going to be, I'm going to win, and they're going to appeal. So I'm going to go right to the top. Mm-hmm. I'm, going to make every, I'm going to make him see that these judges are okay ahead of time so I can actually try this case. So I know what you're going to do, President Trump. So I'm going to beat you to it. I'm going to go right to Almighty God, the Supreme Court, and I'm going to prove that this that this this is all legitimate. Right. That I have a legitimate shot to charge you because you're going to say that I'm a president at the time of January 6th, right. and I had you can't charge a sitting president with a crime. And the lower court said yes, you can. The D.C. court was looking at it, and he goes, "I'm going right to the top." Right. right. So, but they're not going to look at the merits of the case. They're going to look if you can charge a president at all. Am I right? <laughs> yeah, well, here's the issue. They're not going to look at that case. They're going to look, is he eligible to be charged? Well, they're looking at the immunity clause. But again, they typically, and they have to understand in very layman's terms, the Supreme Court rarely, rarely 
goes straight to what would be a trial court decision, the lowest court decision. So, in other words, you're taking a a, a first-floor case and elevating it to the 10th floor. 10th floor rarely looks at the first-floor cases, rarely, because they are it's appealable items. They will take that through the fifth-floor case and then take it from there. So this one is a case in which Jack Smith is asking the Supreme Court, and, and the way you said it, to go ahead and tell the other side that I can make these charges. He's convinced he's going to get a yes. He's convinced he's going to get a yes. Now, what they are missing here is, is let's just say for you know, the argument of legal here, that they get he gets his conviction. Well, that doesn't then mean that it's not going to be appealed again. Now, what he's trying to do is take, take out appellate processes yeah. and say, so there's other issues on the table. But I'll, but here, let's go back to it. Even it was, I think it was the Washington Post or somebody said, and I, I may be wrong on that, so I'll just fully clarify. One of the, the papers said that Jack Smith either cannot articulate a reason for why this needs to be expedited or doesn't want to articulate the reason. And all the reason is, is March 3rd. Right. That's it. The reason is he wants Probate. November. Yeah, he, he wants, wants he, he wants, wants this to. thing done and convicted by November. <laughs> yeah, by and he spring. wants it in in this. He wants it in the fall. Yeah, no, he wants me, he, he wants, wants to start in March. He wants it in the spring, and that's and that's because again, Jack Smith runs in legal circles. He runs on the outside. He's an he's the anomaly of most everything and a lot of his stuff. But what bothers me is, in theory, this is how naive I am. In theory, he just wants you to want justice. Yeah. He shouldn't want a conviction. Yeah. He should want to find get to justice, right? Yeah, there was a, a great case uh, that the Trump team actually cited of a 1940s, uh, I think, assistant attorney general, one of the attorney general, who basically said with the the way the federal criminal code is going, he said, my concern is that attorney, district, uh, U.S. attorneys will actually, there's no, when they want to, they will look for a person and not a crime because there's so many crimes they could fit it into anything so they can actually go look for a person to convict. Unbelievable. Uh, we're going to be back uh, with another segment. Congressman uh, Doug Collins is here. We got to talk about Georgia, the Georgia case, the place you call home. Mm-hmm. Don't yep. move. The fastest growing talk show in America. You're with Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The problem with the Bidenomics, as you just mentioned, is affordability. I mean, because prices have gone up so much, grocery prices, home heating, electricity, gasoline, mortgage interest rates, credit card interest rates, automobile loan interest rates, all those prices have gone up so much, people can't afford it. Uh, wages, take-home pay, after inflation, after adjusting for taxes, have been falling for three years, and people are unhappy. Many are living paycheck to paycheck. Many of them have to work several jobs. You know, this middle-out business, middle-up, middle-out, low-income people have been hurt the most, and middle-income people have been hurt very badly. The well-to-do... Uh, have done very well to do. So Biden's lost support. So what what Larry went on to say is talked about the evaporation of the 2018 tax cuts, the so-called the Jobs Act, the uh, the one that Donald Trump passed. There's it's going to I guess it's just going to time limit out. Remember, they dropped the top rate, Doug Collins, from thirty nine point six to thirty seven. The Jobs Act that 28 percent knocked the um, uh, Knock the um, the international tax to 28 percent down to 24 uh, and the 15 percent to 12 percent. These bracket backslides will mean that every American will need to reassess their spending and tax returns. 
to pay 1% to 4% more in personal taxes unless they're extended? Do you think that, that Joe Biden's going to extend these? Not a chance. And what we did there actually worked. I'll go back to this and say that the, job, the Tax Cut and Job Act actually helped us get through the pandemic after the pandemic. Because it allowed it was the the building blocks were there, and now we're letting the stuff run out. And also, there's one huge one there that's not discussed, and that is the uh, unfortunately we had to put in a sunset on the same year depreciation on large capital purchases or capital purchases. So your your people replenishing trucks, cars, machines for their manufacturing facilities, they could get a hundred percent deduction, same year deduction, which was a very huge incentive yeah. for business to go by. That's going away as well, or it's gone away as well. So these are the things that's dragging the economy. Right that's now. why it's so it's so consequential when you pass with fifty three votes as opposed to sixty. Yeah, uh, that would have been permanent tax law. Yes. Then you have to go pass something else. Correct. Yeah. It is, and it, and that was it because we had to put in sunsets to this stuff, and and that again, making tax law on a five to six year period is hard. Georgia case. Yes. Where do we stand? It's sort of in it's in the discovery mode. It's in the limbo mode right now. This is it's sort of the what normal the. Look, I disagree with the Georgia case greatly. I think it's 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 not brought properly, but the Georgia case is proceeding like you see normal cases proceed. But seventeen people. Oh yeah, that, the deals? judge has already said he don't think that can happen. He the judge has already told Fonnie Wills he does not see how they do that. Well, wow. Doug, it's a fascinating time. We're gonna have a ton of court cases in twenty twenty four. It's great to see you. Good luck on outnumbered. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. You'll Thanks, be the Brian. man in the middle. Man in the middle. <laughs> Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. The definition of a level one stop is defined by a court case. It's police service. So if someone, if a police officer is looking for a missing person, every person he stops to ask and to investigate, criminal or crime or not, he has to make a document, document, he needs to document that. Let's say it's just one person. It's three to five minutes. But if it's 20 people, do the math. It's 100 minutes. So why does the public advocate say that's not true? That's a great question. We explained it and showed him the exact terminology for him to continue to push and state that a police service is not that type of interaction. It's just not making any sense. Is to this going to be as bad as the bail reform, which had to be reformed? Bail reform is a, is a totally different conversation because anytime we allow repeated uh, offenders out on the street is extremely dangerous. What this is going to do, this is going to take police officers from doing protection to paperwork. That is just, it's going to add in overtime. It's going to really take away from the focus. We need to have our police officers on the street doing policing, not paperwork. And that is Mayor Eric Adams talking about these two new things to hurt law enforcement. And get ready. When it starts in New York, it ends up in your town. Welcome back, everyone. Um, and Lee Zeldin, you were listening to this in real time. You know where Eric Adams, you think you could have worked with him if you were governor, right? So what he was referring to is the fact that now 39 to 6, the city council voted to make cops write up every interaction, uh, do paperwork and every interaction on the street. And he as a cop says, you can't do that. You can't do that because they'll never be being cops. All they do is paperwork or they will not have that interaction because they don't want to write it up. And then they said, we're getting really solitary confinement. He said, that's a big mistake, too. A lot of times it protects the prisoner. Oh, absolutely. They keep gumming up the works of being able to have law enforcement do their job of keeping the streets safe. Statewide in New York, they passed something called the HALT Act, get rid of the tool of solitary confinement a few years ago. Now they just passed this. They want to pass this this new law here specifically for the city. Uh, the tool of solitary confinement helps the correction officers maintain good order and discipline. 
In New York, they got rid of cashless bails, was referenced uh, in that clip, which means that if you are someone who shows up at the McDonald's on Delancey Street throwing an axe around, as we saw, towards customers, walls, chairs, you'll be back out on the street, especially when you have a prosecutor like Alvin Bragg or Darcel Clark in the Bronx who will undercharge the offenses. The discovery law changes in New York have cops having to focus on paperwork. You have the raise the age law that even Eric Adams, the Democratic mayor of New York City, is saying needs to change. There's all sorts of pro-criminal laws. They just enacted a new law in New York State called the Clean Slate Act to wipe away all sorts of criminal offenses, including homicides. But for the people who are serving on the New York City Council, they haven't gone far enough yet. And what's going to happen? We see the NYPD retiring in droves, numbers like they haven't seen in decades, people leaving the force, loss of morale, folks aren't aren't joining, they're retiring early, folks are leaving before retirement, just throwing up their, air, their hands in the air saying, I have had enough to go be a law enforcement officer either in the suburbs of New York or just to leave this state altogether and be a law enforcement officer down in Florida or elsewhere. You know what I heard also? Another reason they're quitting? They don't want to get sued. They really have no qualified immunity. And they know that if they have somebody with an iPhone that thinks maybe you were overzealous, they think maybe you're overzealous in an arrest or someone loses their eyesight because of an interaction, which maybe they cause, they could be end up in a lawsuit. Next thing you know, they're making $55,000 a year and they're suspended fighting for their freedom. Guilty on accusation by the defendant, the suspect who has already a hatred for the, that law enforcement, for law enforcement officers across the board. And on on accusation, elected officials in New York City will just throw the law enforcement officer under the bus. Right. Call for their firing before you get any facts, before you hear any evidence. There is no due process. There is no investigation. You are guilty. I don't even want to hear your side of the story. That's the mentality of too many elected officials here in the city of New York. So for you personally, uh, one of the reasons that – there's a majority, a slight majority in the House because of you. You ran. You you got very close as governor. But because people were looking, coming to the polls, a lot of Republicans came to the polls. The theory is a lot of seats flipped and the House ends up going Republican. Now they're going to redistrict. Do we know what these look like? And do you think that they're smart enough to know they can't do what they tried to do originally, made these crazy anti-Republican gerrymanders? What do you think is going to happen? And do Republicans have a reason to worry? The sad thing about the New York State Court of Appeals decision, in New York, the highest court is called the Court of Appeals. They issue this decision where essentially merit doesn't matter. Constitution, facts don't matter. The will of the people, prior statewide ballots, none of it matters. It was a move of partisan politics. We've already seen enough one-party rule in the executive branch, in the legislature. Now you're seeing the judicial branch as well. And there, there are going to be new maps in New York. Now, I believe that the Independent Redistricting Commission, which has the, the role, the responsibility court in the Court of Appeals, to put forward a new map by the end of February, I say just adopt the map that is currently in place. Why not? When they were going through the Court of Appeals hearing on November 15th, the people who were advocating for a new, for a new map, they weren't saying that there was anything wrong with the current lines. They were just going along with the partisan line of we got to get more Democrats. We, we they, they just want to get Democrats in power of the House of Representatives. But substantively, there's no issue with the maps. So the independent redistricting commission, if there is no issue with the current maps that are in place, just 
implement those maps. Now, what what might happen is that the Democrat appointees of the Independent Redistricting Commission will go along with what the Democratic Party wants to kick this to the state legislature to create a hyperpartisan gerrymander, which the voters of New York already said that's something they don't want. Now, if they get greedy and go too far, they might find themselves right back in the court. And the maps that are currently in place might still end up in place November 2024. Now, what does all this mean for New Yorkers? A whole lot of confusion and chaos. New Yorkers right now don't know if the current maps that they're in are going to be the maps that they get to vote on. Mm. They don't know if their current congressman is going to actually be their congressman. And there are candidates out there who may want to step up and run for office. They don't even know what congressional district they live in. So it ends up resulting in less people stepping up. It's 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 terrible. Uh, especially because voters of New York already passed a constitutional amendment to specifically mm. state that they do not want a hyperpartisan gerrymander in New York. So Lee Zeldin, our guest, got a bunch of things to talk about. Number one, a couple of days ago, Governor Hochul decides it's time to study reparations for a state that hasn't had slavery since 1819, that has there was no clamoring for it. It even seemed to have caught Al Sharpton by surprise. They saw what happened and how much the cost came out in California. They walked away from it. Would have given every African-American $2 million or $1.2 million. So they walked away from it. I don't know how they're going to how we pull that off. Why would she bring this up now? Pandering. It's a disaster. It's, it causes chaos, division. Uh, this is something tactically for the Democratic Party. They seek to sow further division rather than bringing people together. This isn't truly about healing. The, the fact that right now, this is the example that comes to mind when I think of this whole reparation debate. There, There's some elementary school classroom where there's a, a, a black student, a Hispanic student, an Asian student, a white student, and they don't see color. They don't see each other's race. They just get along. There's fellow classmates, fellow Americans. And now the adults in the room are coming in and suggesting that the non-black students owe the black student an apology. As if they've done something to harm that black student. And what we should be doing is learning from these kids who don't see color. If you want to heal... We should have a nation that doesn't split apart based on race. Uh, my, my whole theory is, and it's a, I know it's a moonshot, but we should be American, like I'm Irish, Irish and Italian. It should be an American, Irish and Italian. It shouldn't be Irish and Italian American. It shouldn't be African American. It should be American, African. If you are curious about people's heritage, put it in if you want. But we're so focused on whatever happened prior to getting here. We're not focused on the melting pot and the country, but that's a bigger picture. Now, the other thing happening here on a on a different note is they're taking more on um, on chicken fillet. Um, the, they're in the all the rest stops in New York. Oh, right, yes. Chick Fil A yep. is in the rest stops. Yeah. But now a crazed Democratic lawmaker who doesn't like Chick Fil A, they says he doesn't like his stand on LGBTQ or whatever it is, uh, doesn't want to stand and doesn't like that close on Sunday. Say if you don't open on Sundays, we're kicking you out of all the rest stops. I mean, is this really what they should be focused on? Oh, absolutely not. And there are elected officials in the New York State Legislature who run for re-election in the state legislature because they are not qualified to serve in any other job at all. Like th- this is their this is their only lifeline towards being able to to have a salary. And they'd be th- and and the people who are pushing this stuff they're the first ones in line looking for a pay raise. You can never pay them enough. It is. A sad, sorry state of affairs that we've reached that point where there's in 
out of people who run saying that they are the most tolerant, you see this least amount of tolerance coming from them. You you could disagree as much as you want with the owners of Chick-fil-A on issues that have nothing at all to do with product that is sold out of their establishment. You don't even have to go stop there when you're making your way back and forth to Albany. But there is a certain base of values that the owners of Chick-fil-A have that have really nothing at all to do with with so much else that motivates these partisan political hacks uh, up in Albany. There should be mutual respect. And, and obviously, if they were to enact this law to try to jam up the owners of Chick-fil-A, it's something that ends up in the federal court, and you're going to find that you're violating their First Amendment right – the, the owners of Chick-fil-A, are, they also have a right to have you know, freedom right. of religion and to practice their religion on Sundays. And By the way, there was, this, there was a point in society where, where we, there were so many other stores that were closed on Sunday, and we spent time with family, and, and that's okay. Right. There, it's, it, it is all right if a community decides that they want a block of time over a particular day. But if you want chicken on a Sunday traveling upstate New York, uh, that's what this lawmaker is going it's to for. Lee, you have a special guest coming in? Yeah, really excited. Matt Bruderman is here. He's the chairman of Arctic's Apparel. We've joined forces on the Dakota Project with my charity, Zeldin Cares. Dakota is Matt's teenage daughter. He's uh, coming in to, uh, to talk to us about an amazing giveaway, $5 million worth of apparel. Really excited to be here to tell you about it. Back in a moment. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're watching Fox Nation, you can see Lee Zeldin here, but uh, Matt Bruderman is also here. He's Arctic's uh, chairman, and together they have a very exciting project they're working together on, especially around Christmas. It's the Dakota Project. Uh, Lee, I've already welcomed you already. I'm done with you. But, Matt, great to see you. Great to meet you. Thanks for having me, Brian. Well, congratulations on your success. Could you tell us a little bit about your company and how you got to where you are in life? Yeah, sure. Uh, so uh, we actually acquired the company back in uh, 1999, and uh, we restructured it. It was a broken business. and What was the business? It was an outerwear business, uh, and uh, we took it over, restructured it, and uh, it's, uh, I'm told it's you know, uh, the largest outerwear company uh, at, in Amazon and many other big retailers. So when did you start turning it around? Right away? Yeah, pretty much right away. We went in. It was kind of simple math. Uh, we looked at, you know, 80% of the business was coming from three different uh, big accounts, and we focused on that and got rid of everything else and built it up over time. And now it's doing really well, and we sell pretty much most every major retailer. How would you meet Lee? Uh, Lee, actually, uh, so, you know, I started to get a little bit uh, concerned with what was going on, you know, the whole woke thing, and they're talking about letting people out of jail and everything, and so uh, someone introduced me to Lee, and uh, I was worried about saving the state of New York and saving our country. And so uh, I met with Lee, and uh, my family and I leaned in and uh, really supported Lee pre-primary and worked hard to uh, to help try to make him uh, governor of New York. We came very, very, very close. close. But, uh, so that that's how yeah. we hit it off. And frankly, like I've met a lot of people over my lifetime and a lot of politicians, and Lee just genuinely, I'm a good you know, business guy for 30 years. He was just honest, didn't look for anything in return. You know, so many people, you know, po- politicians on both sides, you know, it's uh, a lot of people donate money because they want to get something. And, you know, it was never in Lee's mind of, hey, what can I do for you? It was just, 
he was really missioned, right. you know, uh, on, on fixing the state and knowledgeable and smart and hardworking. So we just really, really connected and we've hung out ever since. So now how are you working together? Zeldin Cares gets formed. You're in between positions in, in the yeah. real world, uh, the civilian world. And then how do you work together? Lee, do you want to? Yeah. So coming off of uh, my service in Congress, I start Zeldin Cares, 501c3 charity. Uh, we actually put, I had our office formed inside of one of uh, Matt's uh, buildings in Locust Valley. And right out of the gate, we started working on this project, the Arctic's Dakota Project, Dakota being Matt's teenage daughter, Dakota. And their final Arctic's is finalizing this prototype, working with Dakota, specially made for uh, homeless veterans where you take a jacket. Uh, one example, like the hood. Uh, it can turn into an inflatable pillow. All sorts of bells and whistles made specifically for the homeless population. We announced the Dakota Project last weekend uh, on Fox and Friends. Five million dollar donation of five million dollars worth of a hundred and eight thousand pieces of brand new apparel. Yesterday we were giving it out to uh, the Dominican community in South Bronx. I'm heading up to Harlem from here. Uh, last week, we had a family in Somers, which is in Westchester County, as you know. They lost everything in a home I fire. I saw that on television. Yeah, and Matt stepped up to the plate, made a donation to fulfill their GoFundMe goal, and also they lost not just their home, but all their clothes, and they're all getting right. fitted with brand-new cold so weather. So now you've seen immediate impact. Oh, yeah, So it's instead, of, you said, instead of trickle down, everyone starts ripping repel, you're, you're, you're trying to do what? Yeah, exactly that. And, you know, it's funny. So, like, just a little bit of uh, sort of backstory here is that, you know, and and our we we have really conservative values. We try to have dinner every night. I take my kids to school every day, even though I'm busy. And it's just family is very important. So we have these conversations, and one of the ones around our dinner table was about, hey, you know, we, we make clothing for all different things: fishing, hunting, uh, you know, all different sports and lifestyles. So we were thinking, like, hey, what what would we do if we were homeless, and what would we want in that coat? And so that discussion sort of turned into a reality. And uh, we were working with the team at Arctics to develop a coat, like Lee said. I mean, it's amazing. When you, when you blow air into a quilted uh, hood, you literally could put your head down on a brick and it's comfortable. It's amazing. So we decided to make purpose-built clothing designed to be on the street to protect these people. And uh, so long story short is the, um, uh, you know, we developed this product and, and uh, COVID happens, gets p- sort of put on the shelf after Lee's campaign, uh, he, you know, we sat down. Hey, what am I going to do in my next life? And he's like, do you have projects? I'm going to do Zeldin Cares. And I said, you know, we've got this. It's funny you say that. We've got this awesome project on the shelf. And uh, so, you know, it's funny because Lee was actually like, well, you can do it. You can do it. I'm like, no, it's too late. You know, we got to get people out there. We got to build a network so we can distribute it. And he's like, well, I know people. I can get us some coverage. And he's like, my team can help us, you know, uh, raise money and and, uh, and, you and are, help right? execute. Yeah. So how yeah. do we help? Dakota-project.org. ZeldonCares.com. If you're an organization, you want to help with distribution, go to Dakota-project.org and you can sign up your organization. It reminds me, you know how they say we fight tonight? It's like we, you know, instead of trying to solve this whole uh, homeless problem, let's try to get somebody warm tonight. Yeah. Right? It's like you no, fight that's, tonight. That's why we, today. we kicked it off with, you know, again, Lee was like, what can we do now? So that's where Arctics is donating $5.2 million or 108,000 right. pieces. And wow. our mission this year, by the end of the year, is we literally right. want to donate enough clothing to to literally clothe every single homeless person. So Guys, that's our mission. it's an awesome, uh, awesome project. Congratulations, Matt. It's great meeting you. Thanks, Brian. And um, you have a good teammate here in uh, Lee Zeldin. Thanks, thanks right. for your support. And so great you're doing this on the holiday season. Five million bucks.
Uh, keep listening, Brian Kilmeade Show. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade here. So glad you're with us. Right to the, we're gonna go right through the tape. Getting ready to getting ready for Christmas. Uh, this hour, we're going to be doing a simulcast on FBN with Harris Faulkner. So I'll get out a little early this block. And at the bottom of the hour, Shannon Bream, Fox News Sunday's own Shannon Bream. And we'll discuss all these things uh, and a lot going on today. Uh, the White House is hoping, was hoping to get something done on uh, Ukrainian aid, hoping to get something done on Israel uh, arms aid, as well as Taiwan, especially in light of that warning that China gave us that they're going to invade us just a matter of when. But we can't do that without any border reform. And that's not coming. And I and I'm, could not make an excuse for Congress. They went home. Guess who's not going home? The Border Patrol? Guess who's not going home? The Ukrainians aren't going to get a pause from fighting, and Israel can't get a, can't get a moment's rest. Big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. They see vulnerability here and an ability also to take advantage of that vulnerability. And they also see in the United States a declining political will in the United States. General Jack Keane, war, Biden going wobbly on Israel and refusing to fire back at the 100 plus attacks on our troops, mostly thanks to the Houthi rebels and some militias inside Syria and Iraq. Why? Why? Now China is watching. Number two. Where are you guys from? Mali. Mali. Senegal. Senegal. And where in the U.S. do you want to go to? Uh, Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Why Philadelphia. Okay, so just an address in Philadelphia to go to? Yeah, that is Bill Malusian doing great work at the border. The definition of emergency and catastrophe, as the Biden White House knows knows it or is planning all along for this border collapse. That might be true. It might not be true. But one thing is abundantly true. The American people want a sealed border and are not happy with what's going on right now. And that's on Biden. Number one. She could win New Hampshire if Chris Christie got the hell out of the race because most of his voters would go to her. Um, I mean, this this has got to be a two-person race to challenge Trump, and then it's got to become a one-person-against-Trump race, or else Trump is going to win it. That is Mark Thiessen. Game on. A new poll has Nikki Haley within four points, so Trump in this nation's first primary uh, within Trump, with the, with the nation's first primary upon us, just five days after the first caucus. Is this a precursor to a closer race, or is this just an anomaly? That's the bigger question. And this has just came out. A pro Ron DeSantis super PAC called Never Back Down. It's his number one super PAC is canceling all of its 2024 reservations in Iowa and New Hampshire. Uh, That's cancellation totaling $2.5 million. That's pretty significant. Uh, Doug Collins just found that on Twitter uh, on X and just brought that forward. So I don't know if they're seeing the polls that they're not close in Iowa. We know that Ron DeSantis got a great message, got a great track record, unbelievable report card, good backing, a fine team, some uh, some slow starts. However, if he's not getting traction internally, that is an extremely bad sign. That means that he goes to 99 counties, gets the governor and many lawmakers in Iowa to go to bat for him and to endorse him. And if he can't close the gap, he's not going to live to New Hampshire. What an epic disappointment if that, in fact, is the case. But I'm not jumping to conclusions yet.
But 2024 is fascinating. And why I say that is because this one poll just came out in New Hampshire. Uh, St. Anselm, St. A, they call it. uh, They have Haley down by 14 points, which is a dramatic improvement. But the New Hampshire primary, uh, this poll that does meet Fox's standards by the American Research Group has Trump with 33 percent, Haley at 29 percent, Christie at 13 percent, DeSantis at six. Now, if Christie does back out, which has shown no indication he would, but would maybe if he's promised something, if Haley is to win, because if Trump wins, it doesn't matter. He's never going to go and Trump would never ask him. That might be the difference, because anyone supporting Christie would never support Trump because Christie's uh, Governor Christie does not like Trump. Everything is anti-Trump, almost everything. But the one thing that Governor DeSantis talked about, that Christie even mentioned yesterday, and that Haley even, is that these trials and these accusations, these charges against him that began with Alvin Bragg in New York and continued through Georgia and through Jack Smith and uh, 91 charges, four separate indictments, have done nothing but fuel the former president. And even the civil trial, which is trying to get at his wherewithal when it comes to his business acumen, where they try to say he's not worth all the billions he had, he, uh, he is, and a lot of the properties were overvalued or whatever it was, even though there was no plaintiff, has helped him and really destroyed his competition. Here's why. Because they don't go up to Governor Christie and say, what do you stand for? They say, here's what Trump did. What do you think? Here's the trial that Trump was just charged. What do you think? Uh, Trump just said this. What do you think? They don't say, Governor Christie, what do you think? They don't say, Governor Haley, what do you think? As Haley's message started to break through and people started looking at her, because Donald Trump was not on the debate stage, out comes this Colorado ruling that said he is not eligible to be on the ballot. Nikki Haley, is that right? No, it's not right. She's going to bat for Trump. Governor DeSantis, no, it's not right. They overstepped. Governor Christie, what do you think? Nope, they overstepped when it comes to uh, this time. There's nothing there. This is Colorado had no business doing this. He deserves to be on the ballot. Now you have his opponents praising him, going to bat for him again, just like they did with Alvin Bragg. There may be some would go to say overcharged in the documents. Look at Joe Biden. And then you look at what happened in Georgia. Christie, Christie will always comment on that. But the rest will just say, don't want to alienate Trump voters. So I'm not going to say anything. So when we come back, I want to talk about what's happening at Harvard. Their president has been caught plagiarizing between 30 and 40 times, dating back to 1997, along with their in-context comments last week. We're going to talk about that as well as President Biden and Hunter Biden. We'll talk about that as well as what we just mentioned about Colorado, that decision firing up the Trump base. Don't move. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. It's been a terrible year for Harvard, and I'm during Claudine Gay's short tenure. They've uh, they've uh, uh, planted dead last on our free speech ranking, our fire free speech ranking. They actually got a negative score. They flubbed the anti-Semitism uh, hearing, did, did, did a terrible job at that. And now there's all these very serious plagiarism allegations. Um, this is very bad for Harvard. But the one good thing 
that's coming out of it for, for, for us who've been sounding the alarm on there being a problem in higher education is nobody, no serious person at least, can say there isn't something very seriously <laughs> wrong, particularly at Harvard, particularly at elite higher education today. Greg Ukiaroff, uh, he was with us yesterday, and he just talked about free speech in colleges. That was his focus. And little did he know there will be the October 7th attacks and the rise of anti-Semitism around the world, but especially uh, here in New York City where bridges are being stopped, places like 1211 6th Avenue are being raided at Fox. They're trying to interrupt Christmas tree lightings. And now we find out at Harvard it's pretty much in the curriculum. And now in looking at the provost there, the chancellor, we're finding out that this uh, this woman, um, this woman who runs it right now, she is Claudine Gay, has been not only was she arrogant during the hearings, un- basically unapologetic apology that she gave last week. She gets to keep her job. But then upon further review, and I believe it was Chris Rufo, Rufo first, uh, upon further review, plagiarized her Ph.D. paper dating back to 1997. <clears throat> Just let me. Uh, so plagiarizing that. So now Harvard, the University of Pennsylvania, uh, released their president but put her back into a professor, uh, different role, not fired. But now uh, Columbia, by the way, with, maybe did the smart thing, didn't show up. And then you have MIT who's dealing with their thing internally. But this guy, Claudine Gay, her major problem is now people stand by her until they realize she's been caught plagiarizing. Uh, baiting back to 1997, about 409 different times. So let's listen in as we go on FBN, uh, FNC. The newer claims were deemed to be, quote, without merit. Calls for the Ivy League president to resign are getting louder. Dr. Carol Swain, a former and prominent professor who works, uh, whose work Gay copied without credit, posting this, and I quote, I have some free unsolicited advice for Harvard. Fire Claudine Gay, post haste. Hire the best man or woman who can steer the university back towards sanity. Florida Republican Congresswoman uh, Kat Kamek on this program yesterday with some pretty strong feelings as well on the issue. Watch. This is nothing short of just absurd double standard hypocrisy that has actually gone back to the early 90s when the Harvard Review pointed out that her work had issues, that it was regrettable, I think was the word that they had used. And so we know that she has continued to steal other people's uh, work and failed to give them proper credits. If the Board of Trustees is serious about maintaining the last shred of credibility that they have, they need to fire her immediately. The list of billionaires pulling their donations from Harvard is getting longer. Len Blavatnik announced he is pausing his gifts, which reportedly total more than $270 million. Brian Kilmeade, Fox and Friends co-host and host of One Nation and the Brian Kilmeade radio show, also my very dear friend, uh, joins me now. Brian, it's great to see you. I was hoping we'd be in studio together, but instead you're standing in yours. Right. Uh, but you know what? We're, we're sharing each other's airwaves, so for that I'm honored, Julie. And so <laughs> I'll sacrifice my show for this moment to be on together. <laughs> so kind. But, you really are. But a week ago during these hearings, it's one of the worst series of hearings mm-hmm. ever for any topic at any time because these over-lawyered perhaps – uh, presidents of schools that would never accept someone uh, like me because I just don't have the intellect, brains, and uh, conscience. So Harvard has to really ask themselves why they'd keep someone in place who has, get this, 409 allegations of plagiarism dating back to 19, 1997, 
and a 37-page document that details it all, how could they possibly hold their students to any standard when their president doesn't have any? You're absolutely right. And the standard that she upholds clearly is an awful example on its students. The fact that she actually testified that she didn't believe that, you know, calling for the genocide of Jews was anti-Semitic is about the most ignorant thing ever. So I'm more worried about that, let alone the fact that she's committed plagiarism, allegedly. But right. I mean, her her calling for or, or, or okaying the genocide of Jews. What does she think that word means exactly? Uh, it's, it's unbelievable. And then she kind of apologized the next day. But if you want to get the arrogance mm -hmm. of Harvard in a nutshell, listen to this professor, Charlie Friedwin, asked about the plagiarism. He's a professor at Harvard. He said he doesn't care about the plagiarism because the people pointing it out are lame and bad. If it came from the other quarter, I might uh, from a other quarter, it might be granting it some conf uh, some credence, but not from these people. You know, everyday people that go to normal public colleges or dare I say just graduate high school. How mm. dare we even think about judging someone who might be at an institution like Harvard? Yeah, and she's only been there for not even a year, so it's not like they're going to lose much. And they're losing hundreds of millions of dollars in donations, and I believe that's more important than keeping this woman at her job. Um, but for political purposes, she's still got one. All right, got to move on. Uh, this week, the Democrat majority Colorado Supreme Court, as you know, labeled former President Trump an insurrectionist. Uh, they kicked him off the state's primary ballot. That move drawing fierce backlash from Republicans and even critics of the former president. Right now, there are actually 31 legal efforts currently to disqualify the former president in more than a dozen states. President Biden, meantime, said Trump is absolutely guilty of inciting an insurrection. Uh, Trump responding in a post, quote, I'm not an insurrectionist. Peacefully and patriotically, crooked Joe Biden is. Trump rival Florida Governor Ron DeSantis popping off on the program yesterday. Watch. What's keeping a Republican state from saying Biden shouldn't be on the ballot? What the Colorado court did uh, had no precedent in American history, um, and it's not something that's going to be upheld by the Supreme Court. The Democrats would like nothing more than to keep doing all this legal stuff and make 2024 just a referendum on all the trials and everything else that's out there. It's not fair. It's politically motivated. The Wall Street Journal's Kimberly Strassel with this headline, and I'm quoting, sandbagging the Supreme Court. The left's legal assault on Trump is a threat to the institution, and that's by design. Peggy Noonan writing this, and I quote, Mr. Trump hasn't been convicted of insurrection by a jury or judge. It seems to me that when and if he is, a state court might feel free to remove him and his name from a ballot. Until he is, they shouldn't. Because without conviction, whether Trump committed insurrection is a matter of opinion and argument. Um, I have to I have to side with Ron DeSantis's comments just now where he talked about the Supreme Court and whether they're going to weigh in favor of this. And I highly doubt they will. I, it just doesn't seem likely, considering once again, you need a conviction. And until there's a conviction, it's considered opinion. And an opinion is not going to get somebody convicted of being an insurrectionist. So, so, Julie, I, I think this is probably the most dangerous thing I've seen. I'm not saying I have a rich legal background. I don't. But if you're going to look at a, a candidate and just say, not good enough, make up some charge insurrectionists that Jack Smith can't even find. If they don't come out 9-0, I think this is exceedingly dangerous, and here's why. Let's say there's somebody else, like, for example, what Texas did. 
Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick comes out and says, you know what, Joe Biden let the border collapse. I don't think he should be on the Texas ballot. Now, let's say six, seven years from now, there's a very charismatic Democrat who gets people so worked up, they start wrecking the city, maybe even Washington, D.C. And then the Republican state, like Oklahoma, says, I don't want that Democratic candidate on my ballot. So what are we going to have, 22 states? Is this a Good civil point. war? Voting in on who they want as, uh, as a... Uh, as a uh, as a president and then the undercard or the other uh, seats to get no attention because no one shows up because there's no president on the ballot. This has to be nine zero punted to the curb. Do you know I wake up today, open up the New York Post. New York goes, we're doing everything we can to make sure Donald Trump's not on the ballot. California said yeah, okay. that on Thursday. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it sets a very dangerous precedent for sure. I, I want to go from the economy to the border uh, to foreign policy because President Biden's poll numbers, as you know, are tanking uh, despite the impeachment inquiry into whether he profited from Hunter's foreign business dealings. Uh, the president is reportedly putting his chips on voters, rewarding his embrace of his son. He's been keeping Hunter close by, but unlike other family members, Hunter has never been listed in the Marine One visitor logs. And Corrine Jean-Pierre pressed on the reason for that. Listen. Will the White House announce Hunter Biden's presence on Marine One moving forward? Uh, that's something that we've never done. This is the family. The family gets to uh, travel with uh, with the president, and, and that's been the case with every other president. Uh, and so it's not something that uh, we have done or, or we would be doing moving forward. Biden and his son, by the way, were most recently seen together on Monday in Delaware. They marked the 51 years since the car crash that killed the president's first wife and daughter. Hunter and his late brother, Beau, were in the car at the time of the crash, a very, very somber uh, memorial. But you have to wonder, you know, it, it, with Biden actually saying that he thinks that his uh, uh, he'll, he's going to get rewarded by voters because he's standing by his corrupt son. That's how he plans on getting back into the White House. Yeah, it's That's crazy. Troubling. Uh, without a laptop, without the background, without the extensive text messages, uh, I, I would say right away, maybe he's trying to get he has something there. But there's no very little sympathy for Hunter. We barely know the story. Uh, and we also know that we can't trust the facts of it. Uh, we're going to take a short time out here on this show. So we'll be back in a moment. But to continue your answer, Julie, uh, the answer with Hunter Biden, he's not going to get any sympathy. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. She could win New Hampshire if Chris Christie got the hell out of the race because most of his voters would go to her. Um, I mean, this, this has got to be a two-person race to challenge Trump, and then it's got to become a one-person-against-Trump race, or else Trump is going to win it, which is the likely scenario at this point. But it's not out of the realm of possibility that, some, that something can happen. But Chris Christie has got to get out. He's got zero path to the nomination. I don't understand why he's being so, you know, Mike Pence looked at the writing on the wall and saw that, uh, that, uh, uh, that, uh, that this wasn't his time. Uh, Tim Scott did the same thing. Chris Christie doesn't, you know, he, he doesn't have a path to the presidency or to the nomination. He, he, he needs to get out. Uh, that is Mark Thiessen weighing in on the horse race, the horse race, which would uh, actually in a few weeks is going to be Iowa. And then it's going to be days later, it's going to be New Hampshire. And a lot of people are talking about the poll that has 
Nikki Haley within four points of Donald Trump first time. The other poll has it within 14 points, but everybody sees her on the upswing. The Shannon Bream, anchor of Fox News Sunday, Fox News chief legal analyst, best-selling author. Shannon, welcome back. It's great to be with you, Brian. So when are we going to know if that last poll by the American Research uh, Center is an anomaly or a trend? I mean, it may be um, January 23rd or 24th when we get to actually see ballots cast in New Hampshire. Um, listen, Chris Christie's not going anywhere because that's the one state where he has a shot at doing something. I think after that, he very quickly folds unless he pulls off some super unexpected upset. Um, but you and I know we got to go through Iowa first. And that's where the DeSantis team has kind of put all their eggs in that basket. If they pull off some kind of upset there, what they're arguing is that it will influence New Hampshire and will change his numbers there. So everybody has got a lot on the line in these first two big contests for the GOP. Um, and I think we are down to two people after that. So let me let me show you what Doug Collins just sent me They're from this tweet, I guess, X, whatever you call it. Uh, Pro DeSantis group never backed down is canceling all of its 2024 reservations in Iowa and New Hampshire. So far, we've tracked cancellations totaling 2.5 million. That according to Ad Impact Politics. That's big news, isn't it? Well, unless they're trying to look to a longer-term strategy. I mean, that is big news. You've got to blanket those airwaves right now. Everything goes to the caucus floor or to the ballot box within just a few weeks. But if they're signaling that they think they have something momentum-wise there and they need to preserve some money for South Carolina or beyond, that could be their argument. Um, But it doesn't look good. The optics of that so close to these contests isn't good. But, you know, if you're canceling that money, where is it going? I mean, why, why can't it now. Right. Um, I think you threw everything at it. Shannon, what's your thoughts about Colorado and the fact that New York and California said, okay, we're doing the same thing. We're kicking them off. Mm-hmm. I know a lot were pending and I know most of them were punted, but for them to come out for so vociferously, the Lieutenant governor in California, and now they're a big push in New York. What do, what do you take from that? What I think it means is that the Supreme Court's probably going to have to get involved because it is such a momentous question, something that's never been tried before, done before. And, you know, it's momentous for it to happen in one state, but to happen in multiple states actually can change the election. So, first of all, the Trump team's got to file there. We're waiting because they said we're going to file immediately, imminently with the Supreme Court. Um, The Supreme Court doesn't have to take it. But I think because of these fractures in these different state courts doing different things, and how important it is to decide this question moving forward. I do think they'll get involved in pretty quickly. Uh, here is Tom Dupree on that, Cut 18. We're at the point now where all roads lead to the United States Supreme Court. And look, I don't think this is something that the U.S. Supreme Court really wanted to dive into. I don't think they were aching to resolve all these Trump-related legal claims. But honestly, the courts, the Colorado Supreme Court, has left it no choice. To your earlier question, I think there's no doubt that the United States Supreme Court is going to get involved in this case very soon. My guess is they could be ready to decide this issue as soon as January or February, whether or not President Trump should be disqualified from the ballot. And bear in mind, that is absolutely lightning speed for the United States Supreme Court, which normally takes a year or so to decide these cases. The idea of trying to decide a case of this importance, this magnitude in the space of weeks is virtually unprecedented in our nation's history. So you you agree with that urgency, which I'm wondering, too, Shannon, if you could put in perspective what Jack Smith wants to do. The Mm -hmm. Supreme Court's accepted the challenge 
to speed up and get an answer to is the president immune from prosecution because January 6th happened when he was president of the United States. Why does Jack Smith want speed and why does Donald Trump want to slow down? Well, it's interesting. And there, you know, a couple more filings in that case this week because now we're standing by any minutes that the Supreme Court could tell us something on that front. Trump's team argues you took three years to bring this case. And now that it's set for March in the middle of the primaries and the presidential election, now you want everything expedited. So their argument is that looks nothing but partisan. Jack Smith's argument is these are questions of national import. There is a public interest. We got to get these things decided. He really, of course, wants to move forward with that March start date for this trial right in the middle of Super Tuesday and everything else. And Trump's team wants to push these things as far back as they can. So these two sides are funny in the way that they're handling things is the Trump team wants that Jack Smith case, pump the brakes, slow it down. But they want an immediate decision on this Colorado case um, that is keeping him off the ballot. So once again, it's going to be a very busy Christmas season for the Supreme Court, um, and everything is going to land there. They hate getting involved in this political and electoral stuff from everything I can read from them, but I don't think they're going to have a choice in a couple of these cases, but to make some kind of decision. What do you think it'll be? I think on the Colorado case, um, you know, you got our much esteemed friend uh, and contributor, Professor Jonathan Turley out there, who is not a super conservative Trump supporting guy. He thinks this could be a 9-0 decision in Trump's favor. Um, I do think on the on the Colorado decision, and I do think um, he's probably right on that, or at least close to it, because you saw the dissents from the judges who were in out there in Colorado. They were appointed by Democratic governors saying this thing blew through due process process and everything else that we consider a protection in our court system here. Um, you know, these judges have made themselves judge and jury and, and, you know, trampled, you know, the dissenters argued over any kind of real process for handling this. So um, I got to think that that most of the justices on the Supreme Court are going to agree that this Colorado co- has got some serious procedural flaws with it. So with Jack Smith, he just says, uh, I am so confident that he does not have immunity, I'm going to take that whole appeal process down before it starts, even before I get a verdict. And they evidently, Doug Collins looked at the legal brief and he said, wow, Uh, he said this was very impressive. So he says one of the best that ever came out of the Trump team. That's significant. If if they find out that Trump can't be charged from Mm -hmm. whatever those charges are, I mean, that destroys one of the four cases, doesn't it? It does. um, But gosh, there are so many different arguments that the Trump team has made on that Jack Smith case and why it shouldn't be expedited. There's this argument that Jack Smith was not properly appointed, so he shouldn't even be doing this investigation. Um, But there's also that argument that we talked about earlier, that that it's strictly partisan in nature because why wait three years to charge and now demand that it be expedited? Um, It would be very unusual for the Supreme Court to get involved at this point, not to say that they won't, but the appellate court, the lower court, normally the court, the the high court wants all of this stuff to be fleshed out. It wants it to work its way through the lower courts before they touch it. So, you know, educated guess on that is if they maybe tell Jack Smith, hey, it's in the appellate level, let's let it play out there. But you could have enough justices say, no, it's important enough before the election that we get this immunity question answered that we take it up now. And again, Usually it takes months or years to go through this process, but it could be just weeks. Yeah, I, I guess we'll have to see. Uh, who's on your show? We have got Senator uh, Haggerty out of um, Tennessee, and he's on foreign relations. You'll remember he's a former ambassador to Japan as well. So we're going to talk about all of the Asia-Pacific stuff, the Middle East stuff that's going on, and also 
hello, when they come back in January, they've got every nightmare waiting for them on funding, not only for Ukraine, the border and all that stuff, but for the government. Um, how in the world do they get this stuff done? And why did everybody go home for the holidays? So we've got that. We've got our live panel. And then the back half of the show is Christmas Eve. We want to bring you some hope. We've got great stories and interviews with Scott Hamilton, with Michael W. Smith, Toby Max, CeCe Winans, and many others um, that hopefully will bring you some Christmas cheer and joy. So, Shannon Bream, on One Nation, uh, which you follow religiously, it's, I don't oh, think you've gone Saturday out night. since we've gone to 9 o'clock. You haven't gone out on a Saturday night and couple of years now i wouldn't have anyway busy right. in show prep and that's the cornerstone to the whole thing right you. that as well as uh, you do not know how you work at dvr and that's the problem <laughs> I, I tried but listen once i failed to you know get dallas on my vhs recorder back in the 1980s <laughs> i realized that i was just not going to have options so you need to watch it live well with this week it's going to be a little different we're doing teddy and booker t uh, two American icons. Yeah, so the whole yes. special. We've shot it over a year. Go out to go out mm-hmm. to the actual places, interview the descendants and others, and talk about their relationship, a slice of America. That's going to be at nine o'clock uh, Eastern mm-hmm. time. So that it's going to be a special edition of One Nation, which is really about Teddy and Booker T. Are you okay with that? And your amazing book. I love it, and I learned so much, and I'm also entertained by your books. And now the special. I, congrats. I'm very excited. Right. I mean, you might be so overwhelmed with knowledge. You might not want to do your show, but I have to urge you. America needs you to do the show. I'm going to feel inspired by you. Oh, inspired. And by your show and by the story. And so that's going to motivate me to keep that alarm set for 4 a.m. to get up and do what the people want on Christmas Eve. Shannon Bream, we're going to be watching on Sunday. Merry Christmas. All right, Shannon Bream, Fox News Sunday Zone. Uh, fantastic. And by the way, uh, we're going to be doing a special show coming up on January 21st. It's going to be streamed on Fox Nation. And on Fox Nation, you're going to get to see really America great from the start. So it's going to be a patriotic, inspirational, motivational night. We go on stage uh, in Juliet, Illinois, uh, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, because i got to get over to New Hampshire for, to cover uh, the first primary. So on the 21st, just go to BrianKillMe.com, get a ticket. Everybody with the ticket, you're going to get six months free of Fox Nation, as well as a book, Teddy and Booker T, and also a great night. I really, I talked to so many people after. Everyone seems to have had a great time. So hopefully you'll be a part of it in Joliet, Illinois. Brian Kilme Chill, back in a moment. Newsmakers and newsbreakers, hear it first on the Brian Kilmeade Show. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. You can't really have states, some having Trump's name on the ballot and others not. It would create what uh, the justice said was, quote, chaos. Um, And there's some other due process concerns that were noted throughout the dissent. Um, One being that there was no conviction of insurrection or even a charge thereof. So there's a due process concern there denying Donald Trump the right to be on the ballot without any sort of charge or conviction. Um, Furthermore, there's also some procedural due process concerns. I think one justice noted that the lower court trial uh, had limited discovery, uh, lack of um, being able to subpoena documents, compel witnesses. So that would also be a concern for Donald Trump's due process rights. Yeah, that's Alex Sawyer uh, from the Washington Times reporter talking about the the controversial Colorado case. And it just helps Trump. And what I didn't bring up before, and I kind of kicking myself for not doing it on television, 
was when when this happened, you might think, oh, what a blow to Donald Trump. It really wasn't. I think he knew it. And that's why he didn't add it onto his uh, like rant uh, out of anger the way he's been angry at the civil trial. The reason why he didn't rant out of anger, he's got such great instincts on this. He knew it's going to help. So now when Nikki Haley, now when Governor DeSantis or Chris Christie are asked a question in interviews or in a live event, they're saying, what do you think about Donald Trump being charged in Colorado? And we all know it's a bridge too far. You see these conservative anti-Trumpers outside the ones that are just delusional. You know, people, for example, everybody on MSNBC. They just go, listen, this is, he's not charged with insurrection. He's not been convicted of insurrection. He's not going to get convicted of insurrection. Uh, don't look at the January 6th trial. Don't give me your opinions. This, uh, this juvenile child that was Secretary of State in Colorado sounds like she's just a pundit. But every one of those candidates are asked about Donald Trump. And because they're asked about Donald Trump, they're not talking about themselves. And that's what helps. Uh, there's so much I love when things are unprecedented. So when the experts that have seen it all, understand it all, will put it all in context. No one's seen any of this so often. Number one, what candidate runs for president after they lost? None in my lifetime. After they won and lost. Not, I mean, Grover Cleveland did it and was successful. I don't really remember somebody winning, trying for a rematch, uh, losing and, and then trying for a rematch. Never happens that I know of off the top of my head. So that's unprecedented. And then the charges the first indictment, Alvin Bragg. Remember the whole world stopped? We watched him get off the plane, go into court. We hear about the interaction, the play-by-play of the interaction with all the officials as he walks into court and walks out. Can't believe a president's done. And then it happens three more times. Then you have a civil trial where he sits there and a judge who uh, looks like a total clown during it, not to be taken seriously. And we also know the charges are, are foolhardy. So we have all those things. But who would think as we watch Alvin Bragg get charged him and Jack Smith charge him and do all these things that the president would dominate the news cycle and for his benefit. For example, George Santos doesn't benefit from the attention because he is guilty. And the more that is exposed about his antics, the more angry, angrier people got and Republicans got the Republican Party in the county in which he represents in Nassau County in New York. They want to kick him out. So with Trump, they expose it. He comes out and he's like, listen, this is this is crazy. This is not real. Alvin Bragg is a joke. And then some Democrats go, yeah, this is overcharged. Never should have been the first case. And then the other one comes up and they say, OK, yeah, look how guilty Donald Trump is. The ones who don't like Donald Trump, everyone on CNN, MSNBC, don't like Donald still don't. And the ones who like Donald Trump feel as always being persecuted. And guess what? There's a strong case with Alvin Bragg. There's a huge case with documents. And there's a huge case when you have 17 people indicted in Georgia. And then you have this story with the civil trial with uh, with the banks and the insurers who nobody has a problem with. So this is. This has all made him stronger and nobody predicted this. Nobody. If any, I mean, I'll give an example to put it in context. Is when, you know, it looked like George Bush was beating Al Gore by about five points in the last week. And then this story came up about him getting a DWI years before. And immediately the gap closed and ends up being too close to call. We know what happened in Florida and the Supreme Court ultimately would name the next president. A DWI that happened 15, 20 years ago. That was a big deal. That doesn't even last a day now. I mean, I don't even know. I mean, Donald Trump doesn't drink, so he'll never get a DWI. But, I mean, no matter what happens, a porn star pops up, doesn't matter. Uh, problem with past cases, doesn't matter. Uh, Mar-a-Lago, underrated, uh, over, overvalued, doesn't matter. Uh, 
Now they have this Michigan story that came out that the president's on the phone telling these guys, you know, push back, don't certify the election. I think they cheated. I think I won Michigan. Okay. New voiceover. Does anybody in the Trump world go, okay, honey, that's it. I'm not voting for him now. Nobody. The independents say, no, we already knew that Trump, Trump's worst period in his political career was the moment that he lost in 2020 to the, up until the inaugural January 6th. Worst moment by far. People looked at it, see how this guy's absolutely ruined the country, and say, I'd rather go back to that. And then when other Republicans said, I can give you that, but I can give you younger, and I can give you without the chaos, so far they're saying, no thanks, I'll stick with the chaos. And they want to say, well, he's too old to 77? I don't think so. Uh, he's not acting it. You know, there's a few things he might have forgot. I can't tell you how much I forget in the short term. He's not whispering through speeches. He's not losing himself in word salads like Kamala Harris, who evidently is at her intellectual prime. Scary. Hey, go to BrianKillMe.com, and I want you to uh, get tickets to Joliet, uh, Joliet, Illinois, so you can see me live January 21st, a show like no other. And don't forget to watch Teddy and Booker T, Saturday night, 9 o'clock. You will love this special. Fox News Channel. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.